after an injury or after surgery, rehab is necessary. It is a part of what the doctor would prescribe. A set of exercises carefully measured out, prescribed for a period of time. Often we might meet someone who says, I'm working the program. They're saying that they're doing what the doctor requires of them. You might have also heard someone who is in addiction recovery also use these to describe one of the 12 steps that particularly they're working on as they think through step six or step eight or step three, and they are working the program. It is not easy work. I have had people tell me before, rehab is killing me. You may have felt that yourself. Any kind of rehab pushes you to the edge so that you can stretch yourself to become as normal as possible once again. I knew a precious lady who had a knee replacement. And after that surgery, she had been given instructions by her physician that she was to go to rehab and that even at home she was to try to extend her leg so that it was absolutely straight. She said, I cannot do that. He said, you must try. After a few days of effort, she gave up. And so a month later when she visited the doctor, she heard the sad words, you will have to have further surgery in order to straighten your leg again. It is a sad realization when we come to the, the thought that we have not been what we, we have not been doing what we might need to do in order to be the people that God would want us to be. The Hebrew people took flight from Egypt at the beckoning of Moses who seemed to be in conversation with God. He seemed to have the ear for it. And as he listened to God, he would share with the people. They took a run for it and were pursued by Pharaoh's army. But God's good favor was with them. You remember the story about the crossing of the Red Sea and how the water separated but then closed back in on the army that was in pursuit of the Hebrew people. The people of uh, Israel still tell this tale until this day. It is a part of the celebration of the history of God's people. Moses in conversation with God continued to receive guidance from him and he shared with the people those things that came to his mind and that God specifically had placed there. When they arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai, the mountain was already clouded with smoke. There was lightning, there was thunder, there was the sound of the blast of a trumpet. That was the best way that it could be described. And it was very frightening to the people. Moses alone was allowed to go up the mountain and receive more words from the Lord. Uh, this passage of scripture, it simply starts with not 
the Ten Commandments. These words are written in as an explanation for what we are about to hear. But the simple words are this, then God spoke all these words. These were important words to be heard. George Buttrick uh, tells the story of having met a farmer who had found a lost sheep that had gone astray. And George Buttrick asked the farmer, how is it that sheep go astray? And the farmer said to him, well, they just sort of nibble their way lost, following a tuft of grass here, a tuft of grass there. Without knowing it, they find themselves in a different place. The Lord spoke all these words. They were a form of rehab, an expression of God's love. And I want you to listen carefully. In fact, they've already been read once. I will read them again and again. We will focus on these words for the next few minutes. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Barbara Brown Taylor paraphrased these words and so get ready, you'll hear them again and again. God said, setting 10 commandments into stone, here are 10 rules for a way of life that works. One, you shall have no other gods before me. In the first place, because I am very jealous of your affections, and in the second place, because other gods cannot do anything for you. I am the one who brought you out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, and you shall not give anyone else my place in your hearts. Two, no more golden calves. You look silly bowing down to the little statues that you yourselves have made. And besides, you don't need them. You have me. Three, don't throw my name around. A name is a very personal thing. And the fact that you know mine at all is a sign of our closeness. Do not abuse the privilege 
4. Keep the Sabbath, not for my sake, but for yours. One day a week, stop working and remember that you are more than what you do. Five, honor your father and mother. Whatever kind of job they did on you, they are still your roots. Lose them and you lose your place in the story. Six, don't murder. However dubious it may seem to you, all life is precious to me, including yours. Until you can make it, don't take it. Seven, don't mess around with marriage vows, your own or anyone else's. Sticking with one person is the best chance you have got of growing up. Eight, don't take what doesn't belong to you. Life may not be fair, but that doesn't mean you can't be. Nine, don't give your word on things you know aren't true. Your word is as much a part of you as your arm or leg. Twist it and you will limp. Why would you do that to yourself? 10, don't fondle other people's things in your mind as if they were your own. You'll not only resent them for having things, you'll soon resent yourself for not having them too. Learn to want what you have and pretty soon you will have what you want. Our wonderings annoy us, do they not? We visit the wilderness too often in our choices, in our actions. You and I look at the list and there's a part of who we are that says we're not so bad, we've kept most of it. But even one of these matters can leave us with a hefty load of guilt and responsibility. Can you imagine how Moses reflected on these 10? How he thought to himself as God was speaking in his mind and in his heart. And as these were being formed on the tablets, can you imagine how Moses might have felt particularly as he was thinking about the responsibilities that were a part of this covenant with God and how he wrote himself into this covenant 
Or might I say God wrote this covenant through Moses to Moses. Do you remember that Moses committed murder? He might have thought that it was for a good reason that he took the life of the overseer that day, but he committed murder. Can't you imagine that in Moses' reading through these words over and over to himself and even before the people that both he and they knew that there was self-incriminating evidence being worked out in the life of this precious leader. When I was ordained, it was no different than it is still to this day that the bishop in residence would ask the question of all of the candidates for ordained ministry, do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? It's a John Wesley kind of question. Do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? And of course, the expected answer is that the candidates would say yes. I can remember Bishop Cannon back in my days of ordination that he added to that to say to we who were being ordained, if you're not moving on toward perfection, then what are you moving on toward? I think this is a question that is worthy enough, not just for those who are being ordained, but perhaps should be associated with our baptism as we share life together in Christ. I ask you this question today. Do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? So get with the program. And what is the program today before us, this great covenant that we call the Ten Commandments? Oh, displaying the Ten Commandments was such an important thing just a few years back. It was so in the news, in every newspaper it seemed that there was someone else that was putting the Ten Commandments on public display in order to make a political point that it could be done and that this is a part of our Judeo-Christian heritage doesn't matter what any other religion would say. And so you can remember that these Ten Commandments went up in many a courthouse and they went up in the State House in Alabama. I mean, a three-ton remnants of these tablets containing the Ten Commandments. And when the court required that the judge who placed them there remove them 
he had it transferred into the back of his pickup truck in order that he might circulate around and have his town meetings wherever he went. What concerns me is the politicization, the politicalization of something so holy. These Ten Commandments were given to us not to be manipulated politically, but to be received, truly received, into our hearts and into our lives as this covenant expectation of those who live in loving relationship with God. It is a two-part program, and so get ready. We're going to read through them again. (laughs) And I do this because if you poll the country, it is already known that 70% of you want the Ten Commandments in the courthouse. But it is also known in the polls that only 10 of you, 10% of you, can quote what the Ten Commandments are. And so listen up here. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day. These four point us toward loving God, toward living our lives truly in a God-directed way. They call us to be aware of what we do, what we say, how we think about God. And the last six, honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. These last six have to do with the way in which we interact with others. You remember, don't you, that Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And his response was the Shema, the hero Israel. It's on all of your doorposts. He would have said, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he said, and there is one that is just like it. You shall love your neighbors 
as you love yourselves. The grouping is the same. Are we loving God? Are we loving our neighbors? This is our basic program. It's not complicated. This is our program. It is through this that not only will we be rehabilitated, we will be healed. This is the way that we recognize God. This is the way that we move toward health. Work the program.